Think, then, of how you would feel if you had been given the promise of salvation and uh, it did not seem to appear to you until 25 years later. Abraham was given the promise that he would bless the world, that in him all families of the earth would be blessed, that he would inherit the world, as Paul says in chapter 4 and uh, verse 13, and yet the seed through which that promise was to be given, provided, did not appear. He had thought that he would have a child. He went in to make love with his wife. There was no pregnancy. After three months or six months and a year and two years and five and ten and fifteen and twenty years, twenty-four, uh, twenty-four years, I want to suggest to you that there were four major temptations that uh, Abraham went through, and you will identify them with your own experience for sure. We mustn't put Abraham on a pedestal and think that he was an unusually godly man and uh, above the common experiences of ordinary sinners. No, Abraham had everything, but the one thing he didn't have was the one thing he most needed, and that was a child. His wife was barren, as I mentioned yesterday, last time. His wife was barren. She hadn't. Uh, she was 65 years old. Abraham was 75. Time was against them, as well as physiology was against them. And here came the promise of God. But why was it so delayed? Why didn't things happen immediately? That's what's frustrating about God, isn't it? So very often. He just doesn't turn up when we expect him to. I want to suggest, then, the three temptations are these. First, he began to doubt the promise. Second, he began to feel unworthy of the promise. And third, he began to force the promise. First of all, then, feeling unworthy of the promise. After a year or two or three or four, Abraham, like everybody else, would have done a fair amount of sinning and failing and, and getting angry and frustrated and, and depressed and isolated and a feeling of abandonment. And he might well have thought, maybe God has changed his mind because I'm unworthy, because I have done things that have forfeited the promise. You see what he was doing? He was falling back onto his own worthiness, as if the promise had been made based upon a certain quality that was very laudable and that God was very impressed by. He had perhaps forgotten that the promise was a promise. He thought maybe it was a contract, and uh, so he began to doubt the promise. Had he ever really been uh, seen the promise? I've made a mistake here. I'm realizing I've made a mistake. I meant I, the first uh, doubt was doubting the, that the promise had come to him in the first place. The second was feeling unworthy of the promise. So let's go back to the first one, doubting the promise. Was it a hallucination that Abraham saw, thought he saw God, and it was an actual hallucination? Was it a dream 
that was just one of the mundane, ordinary dreams of uh, ordinary life? Was it that Abraham was uh, having a, a vision of grandeur and delusion? When Jesus comes to us with salvation, so very, very often we feel that after a while, was it truly real? Perhaps we, our conversion didn't take as well as we thought it did. Perhaps um, uh, we've done so much sinning that the new birth doesn't really seem to catch on or make sense. Not in our case, anyway. And uh, we begin to doubt that God really spoke to us in the first place. That's where many people begin to walk away from God. But those of us who continue to believe, continue to uh, receive the gift of God, the gift of faith as well as salvation, because salvation is a part of, because faith is a part of salvation, and we continue on. And we say, no, I may have thought the promise was, uh, was a delusion, but I come back to the Word of God and I affirm that this is what God has said about me, that in Christ is my righteousness, that I am counted as righteous even while ungodly, that He is my Savior, that He died on the cross for me. We affirm the outward external realities that are firmly established by the cross of Christ in history, and we keep to the roadmap. We keep believing. But then, as I said, comes temptation number two, which is feeling unworthy of the promise. And as I, as I mentioned, all this sinning going on, all this failure, these depressions, this walking away from God for a while and then coming back to Him, this not having come through with all our promises that we made to God when we were converted, this uh, enthusiasm and joy that we had originally that seems to have wandered off and uh, we feel more barren. These are the things that go on in a life that begins to feel unworthy of the promise. But as I said earlier, that, unworthy and, uh, that feeling of unworthiness is based upon a delusion in the first place, as if God made the promise to us based upon some certain quality within us. No, he didn't make it based on that. Our goodness did not stimulate God. God's goodness stimulated us. We are the recipients of God's grace. God's love is self-generating. It is not stimulated by outside forces. God is love. That is what he is. And that is the wonder of the grace of God to us. And so we resist this tendency to believe that we have, have forfeited the promise because we've become unworthy of it. You have to go back to the scripture that says, God justifies the ungodly who trust in him. Yes, you've been ungodly, but you trust in him. Yes, but you say, even my trust is questionable. Yes, but this is the truth. You trust in Christ, 
not in your trust. You are not saved by faith. You are saved by Christ in whom you have faith. And Christ does not change. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And there is no, uh, there was no sin found in him. And he is your substitute. Christ's righteousness is what makes you to be counted as righteous. But then we go through life and we just feel that God doesn't show up at the right time. He disappoints us. He seem, We pray so much and uh, answered prayers do not seem to be forthcoming. And we think then that we have to somehow manipulate the promise, force it. Forcing the promise. You remember after 10 years, Abraham and uh, Sarah were looking rather uh, blank at the uh, promise, wondering why it hadn't happened yet. And Sarai uh, has this crazy idea of Abraham going into the servant and, uh, and making love to her to produce the promise. Hagar, the servant. And he agrees to it. And they have that child. Ishmael. And uh, this is the uh, thought that Abraham has. This, then, is the child of promise. And he, this, this little boy grows up and becomes a young lad, and Abraham is really uh, joyful over him. He loves him. He takes pride in him. And then God comes to Abraham one day and says, you will have a son. Well, Lord, I, I have a son. No, not this son, the child that will be born to your wife and come from your loins. He will be your son. And thus Abraham had this terrible awareness that he had forced the promise, that he had secularized the promise, that he had made it out of human flesh. That is what we so often do, isn't it, with the promises of God? In fact, if we look back on our life, we see so often that we have lived our spiritual life in a very secular way and created many, many secular solutions for evidence that God is blessing us all around. And then as our years move on and we get into old age, we look back and say, wow, what a load of nonsense that was that I got into and thought I was doing the will of God. But don't condemn yourself, because the fact is God uses our delusions and our messes in order to reveal his true grace, for he alone will be exalted in that day. We certainly will, will not. We will be humbled. We, he won't shame us, but we will be humbled and we will realize it all came from God. He is the one. He alone will be exalted in that day, and we shall throw our idols to our idols of stone and gold to the to the to the we'll throw them to the rocks and the mountains and the bats. And uh, that is what it says in I believe it's Isaiah chapter two. And so you see, you have to understand that Abraham was like you and me. He was 
a man of like passions. He was a man of similar doubts. He had many, many doubts, but the Lord kept shoring up his faith every time he doubted. And he would say to Abraham, go outside, Abraham, take the sand and the dust in your hands and let it fall through your fingers. And as the dust is, so shall be your descendants. So God gave Abraham many, many reassurances. And that is what God does with you and me. He doesn't, yes, Jesus teases us somewhat when he says, oh, you of little faith, but he loves us at the same time. And you can hear in his voice when he says that, that he is chastising us in a gentle way just to help us to hang on to the faith that he has given us. And so what we have now is in this verse... Paul saying, As it is written, I have made you a father of many nations in the presence of him whom he believed, God who gives life to the dead and calls things that are not as though they were. You see, God's gift of a child to Abraham was the gift of God's power to create. The child was not born of natural uh, means. This was not the mixing of uh, the, the uh, spermatozoa with the ovum. It was the gift of God, the miracle of God coming into Abraham's life. And that's what you and I have to believe. Now, we can't believe it in any particular details of a specific idea that we have that we want to see fulfilled. We believe it in specifically the reference to the resurrection of the dead, to God giving us eternal life. It seems such an invisible, dead thing, an impossibility. But we believe in the God who creates life from nothing. Thank you for listening to my broadcast today. Colin Cook here. If you would consider, please, a donation to help the broadcast, it would be so much appreciated. This is listener-supported radio. It's now in its 26th year, and each broadcast costs $39 per 15 minutes. If you would like to make a donation, you can send it to FaithQuest, P.O. Box 366, Littleton, Colorado, 80160. Or you can make your donation online at faithquestradio.com. Thanks so much for all your support. I do appreciate it. And I'll see you next time. Cheerio and God bless.